Arts and Ensemble. And, uh, you know, when Rhea gave a word, I was like, man, I want to tag team with her. That was awesome. Awesome, awesome. Thank you, guys. Love the heart of worship that you always display. And, of course, is it Mama P? Miss Poyer, where'd she go? Where is she? Miss Poyer, you're awesome as always. You guys love her, right? You appreciate her, and uh, you do a great job. How long have you been teaching at GCA, Mrs. Poyer? 20th year at GCA, so we are blessed. Yeah, we are certainly blessed. Take your Bibles, head back with me to Genesis 1. We're in a brand new series this year called Genesis Fact or Fiction. The last three weeks we've been in Genesis 1 and verse 1. We are going to get to Genesis 2 today. We're actually going to read Genesis 2 all the way to 23. That's crazy, isn't it? We're going to read a lot of text. But we are talking about Genesis fact or fiction, and we, it really is important to, to know the answer to that. We know what the world is telling us. We know what we've been taught in many places, not Grace Christian Academy, but in many places. We know the narrative. We know sort of the modern conventional theming. It was not so, by the way, just a few hundred years ago nor from the beginning of human history. Every culture all around the world has had a theistic view until the milieu of the time began to shift and you had an anti-theistic position emerge and then men like Darwin arose in that and I'll come back to him in a moment. But what we find in the Bible is very, very clear. God did all of this. I could say it no better than Rhea did a little bit ago that this God is so great our language is incomplete when we attempt to describe his greatness. But what we're doing as we start is we're learning a verse from each chapter. Now, I'm gonna say something here that's very important for parents of young children. Not this week and probably next, but the following week when I hit on verse 27 specifically, I am gonna be speaking to current issues related to gender and sexuality. I will do that in a very gentle way. I'll do my best to balance grace and truth, but I'm not going to shy away from this because it is a major issue in our time, and I want to make sure we understand God's truth is the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth, and when God says it, we can trust it. And I'm going to tell you why the current positioning that's out there is so anomalous. I'm having the staff read a wonderful book right now by Nancy Piercy called Love Thy Body. I would encourage you, if you or someone you love is struggling in the area of sexuality or gender identity to get that book, to look at it carefully with open heart and mind, and to understand where she's coming from because there's nothing new under the sun, and the current confusion is not new. But I will be handling that subject again, probably not next week. I, let me tell you what I've done with your outline. I've written a single message but I'm almost certain it's gonna take me two weeks to get through it. And so it's probably gonna drive you crazy. You're gonna leave with open blanks. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. We're gonna do this week, next week. Then I'm gonna do the very same thing. I've written another message, but it's too long to be a message. So you're probably gonna get another outline and you're probably gonna go, he didn't give me all the answers. Okay, just chill, come back, it's all right. We can just breathe, you know, do a little Lamaze. You learn that Lamaze stuff. None of you ladies probably ever used it in labor and delivery, but you learned it. So gentlemen, ladies, let's just chill. We'll come back to it. We'll take our time. But I do want you to be aware. I believe if, depending on the age of your children, I believe it will be okay. 
But if you don't want them exposed in any way to gender dysphoric ideas and the idea of boys being girls and girls being boys, then you're going to want to pay attention in a couple of weeks about where they are. Okay? I hope that's fair. But uh, that's a few weeks out. So we're learning 127. So let's go ahead and say it together. No blanks, then blanks. Are you ready? So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Good. Now let's do it with some blanks. You ready? So God created man in his In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now I know in your brain, some of you are going, ah, 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 there's intersexuality and, and there's all of these anomalous things. Again, we don't make the rule based on the anomaly. Some children are born with four fingers, some with six. Yet we don't say the amount of fingers on a child's hand is on a spectrum. We say that typical biology gives us five fingers, five toes on each hand, each foot. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at the truth of the Word of God. We're going to look at why we're in the place we're in. And again, I'll do it very gently and very carefully because I do understand the audience. I understand there are seven-year-olds or younger in the room. And I understand they go all the way up. And so I want to be very careful, but I don't want to be silent because we're right here in the beginning and it's important to get these things right in accordance with the truth of God's word. In our initial three sermon introduction to the series of Genesis Factor Fiction, we looked at the author, the audience, the aim, and the age. I told you I am not old earth, nor am I actually young earth, but I am younger earth. I do believe when we look at three variables, when we look at functional maturity, which came first, the chicken or the egg, the chicken, when you look at Adam one week old, he's actually a fully developed adult male, and so you, you have the appearance of age, and so when God created with functional maturity, and then we have a universal flood that we will talk about one day, a true universal flood, and I'll explain exactly how that could have happened here when we even look at the way the earth was formed, and we'll begin to see that today and next week, and then, of course, the effects of sin and how it's aged things. See, we're in a world where we think all things are as they always have been. And that's simply not true. In the act of creation, things happen quickly, instantaneously, miraculously, supernaturally. And don't let anybody that holds to a Big Bang theory uh, try to pretend as though they're not telling you things happened miraculously and instantaneously. It's just they take theism out of it. And again, you have the problem of infinite regress. Okay, so what if there was? Who created the bang? Who created the matter before the bang? Well, what happened before that? Again, if you start from a theistic position, Barashith bara Elohim, if we say in the beginning God, then he is our starting point. Well, what was before God? Well, what makes him God is he's the uncreated creator, the first of all things. And part of his godness is that he is above all and before all and in and through all. And so let's be honest with what we're doing here and let's look at this together. We'll get to our text we'll read through in a moment, but of course the title is Divine and Design, The Actual Origin of Species. And I'm robbing there, of course, from a very famous work, originally published November the 24th, 1859, a work by Charles Darwin, is considered to be the foundation of evolutionary biology. We know that. We're taught that in school. The full title, by the way, was On the Origin of Species by Means of Natural Selection or the Preservation of Favored Races, not black, white, not that, favored races, groups of animal kind, plant kind, 
or the preservation of favored races in the struggle for life. In the sixth edition of 18, the 1872 edition, the title was shortened simply to The Origin of Species. Now, when Darwin used the word species, he was using it in a different sense of modern taxonomy. I'll explain to you, I can't remember if it's this week or next, but it's coming, what biblical taxonomy and modern taxonomy have in common and where they differ. But basically what we're saying is you've heard of those things, family, genus, species, you know, phylum. You've got these different categories. So Darwin wasn't specifically just talking about species per se, but essentially his work was, how do we get everything that there is? And so with natural selection, meaning nature itself, with no theistic intervention, sort of picks and chooses that which is most fit in the current system, the current biological, the physiological system and geological system based on what's going on on this particular planet, because we're talking about on Earth now with the origin of species. What's very interesting, of course, when we hear survival of the fittest, we often as Christians don't understand what he meant by that. If you've not read Darwin, you may not understand this. He's not saying who's the biggest and strongest. We think fittest meaning I go to the gym more than you. That's not what Darwin meant. Survival of the fittest means that uh, organism that living thing which had the the most property that would align it best to survive in its environment. Meaning that if you are not fit for extreme cold, you would not do well. But the woolly mammoth would do quite well, but he wouldn't do well in Florida. So survival of the fittest, what fits in the best. There's just a couple of major, major issues. I've hit on some of them already. But one of the biggest is the complexity of systems as we see them today simply cannot exist in micro increments. They cannot get to where they are with tiny genetic changes over long periods of time, millions, billions, even trillions of years. And so now many in academia are pulling away from this saying, well, Darwin had the ideas right of macroevolution, but what we clearly see is design. We see something else going on. Now, many in the field are not willing to say it was a designer, that there was intelligence, but what we've come to discover is you simply cannot have the level of complexity that we have when you take away the design. And I would argue that you wouldn't have the design without the divine. And so we have divinely designed the actual origin of species. Now, my goal today, let me be clear, is not to merely spend time shooting holes in Darwin's theory. Although, as I've studied it over 20-plus years, I believe it's a fairly easy task. I believe there are numerous errors which plague evolution and make it ludicrous overall. I've shared many of those in the last three weeks. But let's spend more of our time focused on the truth. Let's spend more of our time focused on reality as it's presented to us in the Word of God. Because one of the best ways to spit a counterfeit is to be intimately acquainted with the real thing. And if we intimately acquaint ourselves with the real thing, the creation narrative as presented in the Bible, knowing that this is not a science book, it's not trying to be a science book, but it is historically accurate. There is historicity here or historical veracity in the narrative. We don't have to wonder, did God do this? Even how did God do this? Even the timing of it much quicker than we would assume in just our basic biology course. We must remember on our journey that the Bible doesn't tell us everything we want to know at every turn, but always tells us what we need to know, and that the aim of Genesis is far greater than simply how we got here. 
Genesis shows us that our God created with a wonderful plan and purpose in mind, that ultimately he desires a relationship with the height of his creation, mankind. Now, for some of you, that's going to make you uncomfortable out of the gate. For some of you, you have been so um, indoctrinated with the idea that human beings are simply one along a chain, one in a line, that we're no better, we're no worse, we're no different. But I'm here to tell you that that is wrong. And if you take the Lord out of the equation and his plan and his purpose for your life and you're simply a product of primordial slime with time, chance, and matter, even natural selection and survival of the fittest factored in, I'm telling you, then there is no purpose there is no joy. There is no hope. There is nothing else. We die, the worms eat us. It's it. We're fertilizer for the next batch that will invariably be smarter than us. And if you buy this line, let me tell you something, guys. Let me tell you something. You are more like Adolf Hitler than you would ever want to admit. Because Hitler bought this line of thinking. In Nazi Germany being atheistic and taking God of the equation, you know what he did? America. It's shameful to say this, but America, for a season, began to believe this line of thinking. You don't believe me? Look back at how certain ones were considered less than full people. Do you know why? Because they began to believe this non-God or atheistic position that said, well, they're lower, this group of people, be they Jews or African-American or at that time the slaves, this group of people is lower. So if you want to align yourself with Darwinian evolutionary theory, you are aligning yourself with a position of prejudice right out of the gate. I am aligning myself with a position that says all men, women created equal in the eyes of almighty God, all with equal value, worth, and dignity. And none of us have the right from the moment of natural conception to the moment of natural death, none of us have the right to take life and devalue it or elevate one over the other. That is the biblical position. So if you want to hold to an atheistic, Darwinian-founded, evolutionary theory, you are bigoted. You are prejudiced. You are everything the culture reels against rightly today. But you see, the modern culture wants its cake and wants to eat it too and says, oh, no, 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 ours is the loving position. The non-Christian position is the loving one, right? Love, peace, bacon, grease. No, no, we can't have bacon, grease because we can't kill pigs. They're equally valued to humans. Many have said a full-grown pig has more value than a small human inside a mother's womb. True, it's written. It's written in the books. I'm telling you, folks, we want to take a position that aligns rightly with the heart of God. And today, we're going to focus on the first five days of creation. Admittedly, I'm going to have to jump around quite a bit, but we're going to read 2 to 23. Uh, clearly, it will take us more than just today to finish. But that being said, stand with me as we honor the reading of God's Word. Genesis 1, 2 to 23. I know it's amazing we're going to see this much text. You know, for kicks and giggles, we ought to read verse 1 again, shouldn't we? Okay. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Here we go. Remember heavens, three layers. Here we go. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, and notice the formulas. You're going to see many formulas. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness, and God called the light day, 
And the darkness he called night. And so evening and morning were the first day. Again, when you put evening, morning, and first with the Hebrew word yom, what you get is 24 hours. There is no decent Hebraist on the planet that will tell you the Hebrew language can be manipulated to say anything else. Did not say geologic age or stage or era. It says day. That's what it is. You say, I don't believe it. Then go back and listen to the last three weeks. If you still don't believe it, take it up with the Lord. So, God called the light day, the darkness night, evening and morning, day one. Then God said, here we go, verse six, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters. So we've got this watery mass, okay? And let it divide the waters from the waters. So thus God made the firmament and divide the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament, and it was so. Now I'm going to get back to that in a long time from now when we get on to the universal flood narrative, because that's important. What we just read there is very important. Doesn't look like anything we have in our current planet. Looks like nothing we have on earth today. And so God divided them and he did it, and God called the firmament heaven. That would be what we would call the first heaven. And so evening and morning were the second day. And then God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together under one place, and let the dry land appear, and it was so. So there's this massive division. Now we're getting more focused. Now we're getting the division of land and sea. Watch. And so he gathers these together in one place, and the dry land appears, and it's so. And God called the dry land the earth, and the gathering together of the waters the sea. So we have the land and the sea, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, same day, let the earth bring forth grass, the herb that yields seed, and the fruit tree that yields fruit according to its kind. Notice he made the tree, not just the seed, right then and right there. And the seed is in itself on the earth, and it was so, and the earth brought forth grass, the herb that yields seed according to its kind, key phrase, according to its kind, and the tree that yields fruit, whose seed is in itself. In other words, it's already there according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. And so evening and morning were the third day. And then God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night. Ah, 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 we already have light. Oh, be still. God's bigger than this. Don't let the little things throw you. Get to it. Let's have these lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night. Let them be for signs and seasons. That's why we use them even now for days and years. Let them be for lights in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so, and God made the two great lights. The greater light, i.e. our sun. Again, this is written from earth, our perspective. This sun rules the day and the lesser of the light, the moon, the reflective light to rule the night. And he made the stars also. Almost as an afterthought. Think, he just made the stars. It's interesting. And God set them in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth and to rule over the day and over the night and to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And so evening and morning were the fourth day. And then God said, let the waters abound with an abundance of living creatures. Now this is um, <laughs> the Darwinian place. It's completely out of order for Darwin, but for the Darwinianites and that gang, it's the idea that now we get uh, to organism beyond plant. But things would be completely out of order for Darwin and the gang. So watch what happens here in 20. The waters are going to abound with an abundance of living creatures, and those are not going to take millions of years to come out and then fly, but now let the birds fly above the earth on the face of the firmament of the heavens. And simultaneously, God created the great sea creatures and every living thing that moves with which the waters abounded according to their kind. 
and every winged bird according to its kind, and God saw that it was good, and God blessed them. Notice this, even before people, God blessed these animals and said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the waters of the seas, let the birds multiply on the earth. And so evening and morning were the fifth day, and that's where we must end. Heavenly Father, There's so many things about this that once we just slow down and look, it makes perfect sense of creative order that really and truly it could not have been another way and that the concept of time, chance, and matter, the idea that we are simply on a scale, there are those ahead of us and invariably then, therefore, there are those behind us. That is a theory that divides people. But to know that every person today under the sound of my voice, whether they are in the room or across the world, they are made with equal value and dignity. And the imago dei equally dwells in each one. Now, we may attempt to suppress or deny, but facts are facts. You love us because you knit us together, as we've already heard so well this morning. You formed and you fashioned us, and we are here now to worship you. You said to do so in our love for you with our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength. So in our minds now, let us love you well, but let it not stay there. Let it translate down to the way we act and respond in this world. Lord, we are not primordial slime. We are not merely floating on this rock. We are in your hands. And for that, I'm truly grateful. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so I'm going to have to break this down in a way that gives you the the basic truth, the basic truth, and then we'll kind of go into it with more depth, okay? The first thing we need to see here is the form of creation and how God gets to what we have, and I've put it this way, God's Word is powerful. Now, that's a profound statement. I know it doesn't have many words in it, but it's profound. And again, language is not even strong enough to say what I want to say or need to say, but what we see is that the creative word of God here is powerful. What we've just read is not intended to give us a full modern scientific explanation of the origin of all natural phenomena, but it's rather to address the more practical aspects of creation that surround the experiences of the living and and those of us who um, can observe our world. And when we observe our world through the right framework, the right worldview, because everybody observing the world has a worldview. Everybody puts on lenses. I choose to put on theistic lenses. Those who do not choose by faith, humanistic faith, but faith nonetheless, to put on non-theistic lenses. And so as I put those spectacles on, what I find is that Moses here is relating how God set up alternating periods of light and darkness. In my younger earth position, there's absolutely no time gap, no extended period, millions of years between verse 1 and verse 2. The gap is only a literary one. And what do I mean by that? I mean this, and this happens a lot in the Bible. Verse 1 is sort of a title for the section. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now I'm going to tell you how. That's what we have. We have the setup, then we have the narrative. We've been looking for the last three weeks at the setup. Now we're looking at the narrative. The earth, so let me describe this to you. As God created the heavens, so what we see in our sky, right? Outer space, second layer of heaven. Third layer of heaven, the abode of God. 
as God is creating the heavens and the earth, what we now find is that the earth was without form. It was void. In fact, if you were to look at it, what you would have seen was somewhat a spherical water ball is what it would have looked like based on the scripture. And that's going to make perfect sense as we track through Genesis, if you'll hang with me long enough. And it says here that the Spirit, the Spirit of God, so the third person of the triune Godhead was hovering, hovering like an eagle over its young. God's Spirit is responsible for life, according to Job 33. And along with the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit, the, the, the Scriptures highlight the role of the Holy Spirit in creating the world. I've given you a whole bunch of notes at the bottom of your grace notes, a whole bunch of cross-references. Psalm 33, 6. We see the Spirit of God adorning the heavens in Job 26, 13. The Spirit of God renews the earth in Psalm 104, 30. The Spirit sustains life in Psalm 104, 29. The Spirit results in order in Isaiah 40, in life in Job 33, in beauty in Job 26, in renewal. The Spirit is there with Father, with Son, the triune God, working over this mass to do something with it. Interestingly, the Bible also describes the physical body of the Christian as the temple of the Holy Spirit and suggests that today for Christians that the Spirit is in the process of recreating us into the image of Christ. So much like the world, the Spirit of the living God is now working on us. Now, the Bible, let's look at the beginning of verse 3. So the Spirit's there. The Spirit's doing his work. I'm not believing in a gap. I'm not believing in millions of years. We don't need it. When we see the world as it really is, we just don't need it. Verse 3, then God said, let there be light, and there was light. That phrase, which occurs so repeatedly in the, account, in the account here of Genesis, means this. God willed it. God decreed it. God appointed it. The determining will of God in every instance has an immediate result. Immediately something happens. It doesn't take a tremendous amount of time. Verse 6, then God said. Verse 9, then God said. Verse 11, then God said. Verse 14, then God said. Verse 20, then God said. Then in a couple of weeks, verse 24, then God said. We'll keep going. But then God said is the formula. Hebraic writing is almost always written in a form in which you can really follow it if you're paying attention. There are these sections, these very clearly delineated pieces, and we have day by day, then God said. It is a divine word of command that brings into existence what it expresses. So it is by the word, the powerful living word of God that things are created. Now, I've written this little note in your notes. Throughout the Bible and all of history, God's words are create, creative and effective. Creative and effective. By effective, you could think of Jesus on the boat stilling the storm. What did he do? He arose and he said, peace, be still. That's an effective word. Creative, we're going to see that all through the narrative. We see a, a powerful creative word even in the life of Christ where things were brought back to life. Lazarus, come forth. There is that uh, uh, renewal, re-energizing. Re so what we find here, now I know there's bumper sticker theology that says something like this, right? God said it, that settles it. Y'all heard that, right? Sometimes the bumper sticker says, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. Whether you believe it or not doesn't matter, <laughs> okay? It matters to you, 
But it doesn't matter to reality. You can say, I don't believe in gravity. I do not recommend you go to the top of one of our facilities and test that belief. Because while you are falling quickly to the earth, the fall doesn't hurt, by the way, it's the sudden stop. While you're falling quickly to the earth, you will come to find very quickly that whether you believe in it or not, gravity is a natural law. Created by God, by the way, and it makes perfect sense when we understand it through a theistic lens. But what we find is that God does say it, and really, truly, that does settle it, but we've got to have more than that. The phrase, God said it and that settles it, doesn't mean I can't study it and grow in it. I want to study. I want to learn. I want to grow. I want to apply. Again, I have children like you. I have people to whom I'm responsible like you. I want to lead them in truth, not fairy tale, not myth. Not something that mankind has made up as a coping mechanism. I want to know the truth. And so when we see verse 3, and God said, that's the first of a highly structured series of succinct formulaic expressions for the creative commands of God. Creation is accomplished by his word. Let me give you a couple of elements we're going to see over and over. Each section of this narrative gives us an introduction, and God said, a creative word, let there be a fulfillment of the word, and it was so, a name or a blessing, so God called it light, darkness, day, night. A divine commendation, God saw that it was very good, and a concluding formula, and so it was, evening and morning, the blank day, first, second, third. God effortlessly spoke a light into existence. Listen to Psalm 33, 6. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. Psalm 148, 3 to 5. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you stars of light. Praise him, you heaven of heavens, and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded, and they were created. Light is created to dispel darkness that envelops the earth, verse 2. The six creative days give shape to and then fill the earth, which was previously without form and void. And God spoke creation into existence by his effectual word. Think about the powerful word of God. We have the, the spoken word, the written word, the incarnate word, Christ. Hebrews 4.12 says, The word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Let's talk about words for a moment. Finish this statement. Sticks and stones may break my bones. Is that a true statement or a false statement? Man, if you've lived long at all, you know that's a false statement. Words are powerful. Words can affect us. I believe that the words left, the scars left by words can be deeper and wider than those left by physical injury. I believe the scars left by words, some of you have been spoken to in such a way that more damage was done than when you have literally had yourself injured but as powerful, as powerful as our words may be, to bring life or death, because the Bible speaks of that. Let's speak life into one another or let's speak death into one another. And you've probably felt that. You've probably been on both sides of that, maybe giving or receiving or both. But as powerful as our words are, the words of the Lord are so much more powerful. Let's try a little experiment. Are you ready? Let's see the power of words. Here we go. Darkness. Now, unfortunately, because all of you are looking at Facebook on your phone, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. 
I do see a lot of glowing faces, which is why I moved away from my iPad. See how creepy that looks? No, because we have the screens on and we have the light bleed through the room, I can't get it perfectly dark in here. But by my word, something happened. Let's try again. You ready? Let's see what we can do now. Let there be light. You didn't know I had such power. (laughs) The truth is, two weeks ago, I had to go through a couple of guys and say, hey, can we do this? Can we turn things on and off quickly here? I know we're all LED now. Is that going to hurt anything? Who's going to do that? I brought Sam in our lighting tech and said, Sam, now this is exactly when I'm going to say this. Take notes and write this down, you know, in case anybody were sleeping. Not Sam, but y'all. You know, let's pay attention here because I'm going to say darkness and then you got to hit the button. See, my word is only powerful so far. I have to set in motion a bunch of people to help me do the very simple thing I just did. Because I'll be honest, y'all. I have no idea how to cut the lights on and off in this place. I just don't know. Don't judge me. There are a lot of buttons, okay? But the truth is, we all need help. None of us are powerful enough on our own. That's why our words are used for communication and relationship and give and take, a sender, a receiver, a message. But God's word needs no help. God didn't ask permission, hey, what do you guys think? Should we have some light today? God said, let there be light, and there was light. Before the sun, before the moon, that is not a problem for the Lord. I'll explain again as we go. But you see, words communicate thoughts and leads to action, but we serve a God who needs no assistance. He speaks, and it happens, which means for us, we can trust the word of God. Remember 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all scripture is breathed, given by inspiration of God. All scripture's profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, training in righteousness, that the people of God may be complete and thoroughly equipped for every good work. Why is the word of God profitable? Because it's powerful. And then I'm gonna go quickly into just a smidgen of point two. Not only is the word of God powerful, but God's design is also purposeful. God's design is purposeful. I got to dig a little deeper and get more detail. Ten times in the chapter we find let there be light, firmament, waters gathered together. Some have said this is the Ten Commandments of creation. Ten times let there be. This is the divine decalogue in front of us. The first time we see it again is light. In Latin we would say fiat lux, fiat. God creates fiat. Let there be. B, fiat, he is speaking, it is happening. The greater and lesser lights are created later, the fourth day. You say, well, pastor, look, now, I've studied just basic science, and I remember Timon and Pumbaa laying there on the ground, looking up to the heavens, and I remember that those things sparkling up there were not fireflies. They're balls of gas burning billions of miles away. Do y'all remember that? First first film Cindy and I ever saw together in the theater, The Lion King. I was very romantic back then. And so she looked at me with Nala eyes, if you've ever seen that film. It's great. So it's good. She still looks at me with Nala eyes someday. Yes, she does, Frank. Don't you shake your head. So I, I understand that from where we stand today, we're getting our light from the sun. Is it our primary source? And then the lights of the heavens as navigational aid and understanding distances and such. However, let us remember, folks, that when God is recreating at the end of time, 
we know that the sun is not necessary, nor is the moon, for the light to be all around us. In fact, God is the provider of light in 2 Corinthians 4, 6. Listen to this. For it is God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shone in our hearts to give light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. And some people have a lot of trouble with this. Well, day one, God gives light, but it's day four where the sun comes. Oh, man, chill out. The meta-narrative, creation, fall, redemption, restoration, Revelation 21, 3. John, writing, inspired by the Holy Spirit, talking about the new Jerusalem, our heavenly home, said this, the city had no need of sun nor of the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God illuminated the Lamb is the light. Do you see that? And so uh, why are you sweating the small things? If God himself is light, radiating light, what he's doing is he's putting the light on this creative act, day one, day two, Day three, and it's dividing different things more and more specifically. So we have firmament from non-firmament, or heavens from earth. We have things like water and land. And now as a differentiator for those he would soon create that would be in his image, he's going to give a greater light and a lesser, a reflective light. And so this is no problem for God. This is a minor issue and then once God created certain things, he separates them and he names them. Separating and naming are acts of dominion and serve as a pattern for man who too gets to name. Firmament, of course, in verse 6, refers to the atmospheric heavens or the expanse surrounding earth. The watery mass of the earth was given form by a second separation in which atmospheric waters and waters of the earth are separated by sky. And it's very important to understand this water canopy that continued to exist in these early chapters of Genesis. And on the second day, God separates the atmospheric waters from the terrestrial waters by an arching expanse. We look up and call it sky. So it, it would appear that if we pay attention, there's this dense moisture enshrouding the earth. But God's work is making division and distinction. Most likely, approximately half of the waters upon the earth were supernaturally elevated above the atmosphere. Again, I'm gonna come back to this We've got questions, don't we? The longevity of people. How did people live so long? How is this possible? If you'll track with me through this series, I promise you, you're going to get great satisfactory answers. And at the end of the day, you're going to apply faith just like you would if you were a non-theist. You would apply faith because you weren't there, nor was I. But with second evening and morning, another day of creative activity is ended. And in the third work of separation, land from sea, is verse 6 says waters are separated from waters. Again, vertical and now horizontal. So vertical separation, waters from waters. That's going to play into the universal flood. Horizontal separation, land from sea. Remember, continents were in different places then too. Uh, don't forget, a universal flood moves things and it moves things quickly. Don't believe me, you've never lived through a major flood, and I've only lived through localized flooding. So, God then creates vegetation. Look at verse 11. He said the earth should bring forth grass and herb that yields seed and the fruit tree and all that. Why? Well, because those things are going to be needed before the animals come along. We are vegetarian, after all. As antediluvians or antediluvians, pre-flood folks are vegetarian. I said it last week, but after the flood... Bring on the meat, right? So the productive power of the earth is a God-given gift. Man, are you kidding me? Okay, contrary to evolutionists 
who insists that all plants and animals developed over hundreds of millions of years from a single speck of life in the ocean with no real cause behind that, and the claim that they get more and more and more complex with mutation that more aligns with their surroundings. You see, what we've witnessed today and what Darwin witnessed, even in his finches, I'll have to come back to this because I'm out of time, but what he witnessed, folks, with his, with his famous finches on the Galapagos with beak change and skull formation was not evolution, it was adaptation. Are you kidding me? We just lived in Florida five years and our bodies physiologically began to adapt to heat and humidity. And so I get colder more easily than I once did. It could be an age thing too, but the reality is we adapt. Animals, of course, adapt. There are, of course, micro changes, but always and forever according to its kind. We have 0.0 pieces of evidence of kind shift. And I'll explain that again because the taxonomy is now different. We use different words. But theistic evolution claims that these things were emerging and forming and changing somewhat together. The Bible says, no way. It doesn't work that way. In fact, I would challenge you. If you were to go to the pet store and you were to buy the little aquarium, the gravel, the filter, the little plants, you could be plastic if you want to, or you could buy the real thing. And then you buy the fish. Maybe simple, simple, tiny baby fish so that there's some growing to do. Because you're never going to see evolution before your eyes. The evolutionist says it's because it takes millions of years. The reality is it's hogwash because it doesn't happen. Not in a macro sense. But try to get those things to develop in stages. I promise you, if you put those aquatic Life forms, whatever they may be, the shrimp or the fish or whatever you purchase, if you put those aquatic life forms anywhere but a fully formed system, they will die. Because a basic study of systems are that all things need to be, that there is incredible complexity. And even if you want to strip it all away and take just one little cell of our body, there is such complexity that there would not be enough time ever to get us to the current place we are, much less to answer the question of consciousness. One of the great struggles for men like Bill Nye or Richard Dawkins is where does consciousness come from? And by their own admission, they say, we have absolutely no idea, we're still studying it. Well, where did the matter come from at the Big Bang? We have absolutely no idea, we're still studying it. But we hope that science will reveal it. And I would say, to the Bill Nye science guys and Dawkinses of the world, the word of God gives us the answer of where we came from. It tells us in the beginning God, and if we follow the narrative wisely, we see exactly what the powerful, creative word of God is doing. And we see that God has purpose in his design and Genesis not only dates the creation of marine life as being after the creation of plants and fruit trees, but reveals the fruit trees were created already bearing fruit, the seed already in itself. So I'll end with this. God created a functioning and mature world. As Benjamin and Avery join me on the platform for our closing song in just a moment, I want to tell you why that's so significant for you today and why it's so important for me. You are not the product of time, chance, and matter. 
nor natural selection, survival of the fittest. The truth is you know deep in your heart how weak and vulnerable you are. You know good and well that we're not at the top of some chain with other people invariably below us. You know good and well that there is a void in your heart that longs for hope and for meaning, that longs for more than what we see here. You know good and well that things are broken, that this earth is not functioning in its perfect design. The earth itself, as we've seen even recently with underwater volcanoes and the movement of systems and the snows, and yes, you could even argue the theories of global warming. I've got ideas on that too. I'll, I'll tell you what I think about that. I think that goes back to the universal flood, and we'll discuss that in due time. But you see this earth groaning, and you see the people living on this earth groaning because things are not right. That's true. Things are deeply scarred and totally broken. But as we've already heard today, both in song and in word, God loved us so much he would not leave us in our brokenness. He sent his son Jesus Christ to walk this sin-cursed world, to be spit on and beaten and nailed to a tree in my place and in yours. And Jesus Christ not only died to reconcile people to their creator, he died to restore his creation. God is in the process of taking us back to paradise. But are you ready to meet him? He's seeking you. You're not seeking him. Our first parents didn't, Adam and Eve. And no human being since them have ever been running arms open wide toward the Father. We're running away because we're all kids with our hands in the cookie jar and the lights come on. And God is saying, I will receive you to myself. Trust me. Believe me. You know down deep in that God-shaped void, this is not it. Primordial slime is not the answer. You are the product of a loving creator. Now come home to him today. You were divinely designed. That's the actual origin of species. Stand with me. Next week, we'll pick up there. We'll dig even a little deeper. And then that following week, we will get to verse 27. We will get to male and female. And so just use discernment, moms and dads. I, I will promise to be sensitive, okay? We will not in any way go off the reservation and use language that would be inappropriate to young ears, but it's going to be on you as to whether you want your children to hear this discussion. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, <clears throat> incredibly grateful for the opportunity to come and open your word with your people in your house on your day for your glory. And I am reminded as I read this account over and over that creation is simply pointing us to your glory, to your power, to your purpose. 
creation is singing forth your praise. And like the Lord Jesus himself said to those trying to silence his disciples, should we keep silent, even the very rocks would cry out. For the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth forth his handiwork. God, we can look around at an East Tennessee sunrise or a glorious sunset and we can see how our creator has painted the sky for us, how you give us the times and the seasons, how you give us the greater and the lesser of lights, how you give us the glorious expanse of the stars. And God, help us to remember we are not here floating on a third rock from the sun alone, destitute, without hope, without help. We are here at your sovereign hand that you knew us, as Jeremiah proclaimed, before even a day of our life was lived. And so take heart and take hope. And God, thank you that we have this joy within us because above all other evidences, the greatest evidence is the witness of the Spirit of God living in the people of God. I know it's true because I've been transformed and continue to be changed, conformed more into your likeness, not conformed by the thinking of this world. Thank you, Lord, for the witness of brothers and sisters. Move us in the final minutes to leave with you whatever we need today for your glory, ultimately for the good of your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for watching us today. God is doing absolutely amazing things in and through our Grace Baptist Church family. If you'd like to share anything the Lord is doing in your life, feel free to reach out to us through our website or our app. And if you're ever in the Knoxville area, come by and worship with us and our family of faith here at Grace Baptist Church.